While the eleven and their companions were talking about what they had heard, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, that it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. In this morning's gospel, the risen Jesus comes for the last time to his disciples, leads them out to a nearby hill, and says goodbye. They don't see him again. Before he goes, he speaks about the coming of the Holy Spirit and says, you are witnesses of these things. And Jesus is saying the same to us this morning. You here at St. Albans are witnesses of these things. And that's not easy. The chapel at St. Mark's College at Mapanza Mission Station in Zambia is in the middle of the campus <coughs> and pretty central to school life there. The new and very green school chaplain some years ago was amazed and gratified to see the chapel full for all the services in Holy Week, and equally amazed and puzzled to find the chapel almost empty on Easter Day. What was wrong? Well, that chaplain discovered that it had to do with the experiences of the local people there. For a long time in their history, they'd been oppressed by a neighboring tribe warlike people. They'd become a tribute people, many forced into slavery. And that had ended only recently, within living memory, and there was still deep sadness. They could identify easily with Jesus' suffering and his death. The resurrection was just a step too far. It didn't work for most of them. And that, I think, I know, is how so many people across the world are feeling this Eastertide. In a world of so much pain and suffering, 
the resurrection is just a step too far. Perhaps that's why there must be a hundred crucifixes in churches for every picture of the resurrection. The poet W.H. Alden wrote this, Today we find Good Friday easy to accept. What scandalizes us is Easter. Modern man, people today, find a happy ending, a final victory of love over the prince of this world, very hard to swallow. Two terrible wars, and wars today, the Holocaust, Stalin, Mao, three million people now dead from COVID. When Auden says most people, that must include most people here in North Harrow. How can we be witnesses to these things, to Jesus' resurrection? In the words of today's special prayer, the Corinth, which I've just prayed, how can we get the knowledge of his presence with us? Well, here are three tentative suggestions. For many people who cannot believe in the resurrection, this story of Easter Day is an impossible happy ending to a sad story. It's pretty clear that the earliest Christians thought it was the reversal of the terrible tragedy of Calvary. Peter certainly believed that. Just read his first sermon in the Acts of the Apostles. And it was quite a long time later that St. John recorded in his Gospel Jesus' own words, and I, if I be lifted up, <coughs> and he meant lifted up on the cross, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. Our faith is based on the whole story, not just Easter Day. God is a God who suffers with us. As a Scottish hymn says, we go through no darker rooms than Christ has gone before. But death did not have the last word. Then secondly, we need to be honest about what we can prove and what we can't prove. That Jesus existed is beyond doubt. We can be certain of that because writers who had nothing to do with him and were not Christians knew about him and wrote about him. He is a figure from history, not imagination. And there is also evidence from the same non-Christian writers that this wandering preacher and teacher died a painful death on a cross. His life and his death are solid facts of history. The resurrection, that's different. It can't be proved that the tomb was empty. We do know that no grave, no nor memorial for a dead Jesus has ever been found. And if you heard Rowan Williams last week, you'll remember him saying that if a Jesus tomb was ever found, he would have to stop being a Christian. The empty tomb is important, so important, but we cannot base it on scientific evidence. The change in the disciples from a sense of utter failure and despair 
on that hill outside Jerusalem on Friday, all hope completely dashed into joyful pioneers who began to change the world was a true miracle. All of them, except Jesus, died for their faith in the risen Christ. They were martyrs. And the word martyr in Greek means simply witnesses. You are witnesses of these things, said Jesus. They were. They could not prove scientifically that Jesus was raised from the dead. Nor can I prove that my wife loves me, but they know, they knew, and I know. You are witnesses of these things, said Jesus. He said it to the twelve that day. He's saying it to us here at St. Albans this morning. Where can we look for resurrection life? How can we find such knowledge of his presence with us that we are strengthened and sustained by his risen life? The words of today's colleague. Martin Luther said that God has written the promise of the resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime. And that, of course, takes us some of the way, but not all. I think of all those down the ages and today who have died for their faith. I think I've seen resurrection life in the wonderful sacrificial giving, giving to the point of death for some this past year by doctors, nurses, care workers, so many others. I think I've seen it where individuals have come to terms with past wrongs, sought forgiveness, and made good those past wrongs. Perhaps we've known it in our own lives, it is resurrection. And I think we've seen it on a worldwide scale too. The German nation were guilty of a terrible past, militaristic nationalism, the Nazis, war, hatred, terrible hatred of the Jews, Holocaust, in a quite remarkable and totally public way. Germany admitted those terrible wrongs and sought forgiveness. It truly was a miracle, a remarkable sign of resurrection in today's world. And he makes himself known in the breaking of the bread. The risen Lord is here with us this morning as we celebrate the Eucharist together. And he empowers us to live Easter lives of love, justice, witness and service. And perhaps that's the best proof of all, that the resurrection is true. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thomas Hardy, like so many, hovered between faith and doubt. He wrote about hearing a thrush singing on a winter's evening. A voice arose among the bleak twigs 
overheard in full-hearted evensong of joy unlimited, an aged thrush, frail, gaunt, and small, in blast-beruffled prune, has chosen thus to fling his soul upon the growing gloom. So little cause for caroling of such ecstatic sound was written on terrestrial things afar or nigh around that I could think there trembled through his happy good-night air some blessed hope whereof he knew, but I was unaware. Lord, we pray that you will give us such knowledge of your presence with us that our lives are witness to your resurrection, a blessed hope for those longing, doubting, still unaware. Amen. Amen.